question. Okay, you can record this question. Bullshito. At the end of it, would we like to have an overall philosophical discussion in regards to um, the argumentation structure of the topic, or would you want to stick it completely just on uh, what he would like to talk about? Um, I, because I it would be I would... a drastic turn at the end, like the last 10 minutes. It's a very deep philosophical thought that I have to discuss in regards to it. Sure. Okay, just wanted to run that by you before I did it, because it'll be a, a very far departure, because most of the show I just want to understand more about this. So sorry for taking up your recording time. Bullshito, you may begin. Uh, no worries. Um, so, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I am here with uh, returning guest and uh, other returning guest, uh, Liz Pegistus and Theodore Quinona. Quinoa, Quinoa, you know, like the rest, but worse. Um <laughs> You must have heard that joke before. Uh, anyway, um, we uh, had a last-minute dropout from Paz, who is uh, very busy being an actual professional, um, which uh, I highly respect. Uh, men's got to earn some dumb, some dough somehow. Uh, we are here to, um, well, let's put it this way. Me and Theodore are here to speculate wildly um, about uh, the existence of the swings, the pyramids, Gobekli Tepe, um, you know, we're going to get into ancient alien, third eyes, chakras, uh, you name it. And, uh, Lisbegistus is our resident, uh, professional and expert, um, who is going to set us straight on all of our bullshit. Uh, Meanwhile, I'm the guy who actually believes in magic, so. I'm, I, I'm oh, sorry I... for the rude question, but do you have a better nickname? Because, um, you know, some people call me Ted because Theodore is hard to say. Do you have a shorter way of addressing you informally? My name is Pavel. If that helps. Pavel. Yes. I like it, Pavel. Thanks for being here, man. We want to hear all about it. What's your favorite topic to jump into on this? Well, I was going to talk a bit more about the astronomy and the connection between these megaliths and various yeah, astronomical events. Probably, um... Before but we really get I can going, talk about uh, any of them. Yeah, a good place to start a little bit. Um, all right, so there's a few, let's say, moving parts here. Um, one is the existence of uh, megaliths, meg megaliths um, before they were supposed to exist, essentially. Um, and we'll probably get into this, but I believe the mainstream archaeological opinion would be that uh, megaliths are built between three and six thousand years ago um so that's uh almost true. between four and eight thousand years in your time zone theodore um anyway that's a good one <laughs> um so uh, there's one that those exist in the first place then secondly um there's the matter with uh these and I believe the other megaliths or megalithics in general, um, that they are very much aligned with the stars in particular ways. There's very clear uh, astrological connection or meaning to these. Um, would that be a, a fitting introduction, uh, Pavel? Sure. So the topic of, first of all, there isn't really any dispute about the age of, for example, Gyobikli Tepe. The, mm -hmm. the evidence is actually extremely rock solid that it is, in fact, 11,000 years old. Like nobody, not even the, the most uh, still rode up his asshole science guy is disputing that. It's yes. pretty rock solid. The debate is whether or not the people who built it were basically cavemen or were they more advanced than that. So yes. we know I'm that just a great question. Old. It's a really good question, Pavo, because some of these ancient monuments are incredible and you cannot explain with your brain looking at it. it none of it makes any sense. They were so powerful back then. How? Aliens. Or there were people and people were actually pretty smart. I know it's hard to believe, but... Yes, we often think of the ancient people. We sort of ascribe to them that the, the caveman aesthetic, right? Where you have like the loincloth made of the tiger skin and a big tooth and you go around clubbing people. But 
they, they, they had to be extremely intelligent to survive under the conditions that they survive in. I mean, think how often we kill ourselves and we are supposedly very intelligent. Yeah, especially, I mean, it has to do also with um, the way we look at them also has to do with how familiar we are with it. Because here in Sofia, in Bulgaria, the center of the capital is built on top of a medieval city which is built on top of a roman city which is built on top of an ancient celtic city which is built on top of an ancient neolithic city so it's basically a six thousand year old city i'm living in and you can see the ruins if you for example go into the metro station you, you can just go there and see like a roman wall or like a a, a four thousand year old leftover from a city and it's surrounded by glass and high-speed rail so but you can you can be in contact with the ancient world if you live in places like this. Uh, I don't know how it is in the city Bushido is in. Uh, I know there in that region there were some pretty interesting cultures living very long time ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't know Theodore where you're at, but uh, I'm from Chicago, so um, whenever we yes, do, whenever we do, yeah, whenever we do digs, we discover um, Native American burial sites all yes. the time. That, that's that's our version of the ancient uh, monuments. Although we do have um, some really tall hills that people built in the Southwest a long time ago. Um, yes, I, I'm I not, know about them. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not the expert, but I'd love to hear anything more about that you want to about the American um, ancient monuments as uh, monuments as well. I'm not very familiar with them, but here's something interesting about Bulgaria because we don't really have any walls. Or we do have walls, but they don't really matter uh, unless you're in somebody's way. Uh, in the region I'm from, there's hills everywhere and almost every hill has a hole in its side because somebody went there with a metal detector and a shovel. So uh, every bit of land here is covered in history. And if you go literally anywhere with a shovel and a metal detector, you might find something. It's a really big business and there's a lot of people in jail for doing it. Uh, but most don't get caught. And of course, a lot of them have, you know, political protection because it's a big business. So that's a, that's a completely separate topic, but just uh, to illustrate the idea that if you have uh, contact with the ancient world, you can kind of appreciate it a bit more. And uh, But still, from 4,000 years ago, when supposedly the city I'm in first was a village, to 11,000 years ago when supposedly nobody had anything more advanced than an Adawado or maybe a bow and they lived in huts to build something like Yubeki Tepi that's just some uh, that's a very big mystery and the real like I just read on the Wikipedia page that one of the archaeologists said that it might have took about 500 people to build it which isn't completely impossible for hunter-gatherers to gather in that large number, but you know they did gather for short times in North America, as far as I'm aware, in, in much larger numbers, like in several thousand people at the same place. So it is conceivable that these people would gather once a year for a few months, and most of them would go out hunting, and then 500 of them would be building, building this basically temple or whatever it is. But that's just if we're trying to answer the question of, okay, how could they have built it? But the question of why they built it is a completely different topic. And anybody want to add to that? Um, so, uh, well, Shido, um, what I love here is the idea that civilization is like a cake, that there are these different layers that you live upon as we've gone on over the millennia. And when he started going through that idea of there's 6,000 years worth of history going through parts of Bulgaria or maybe where you live, Bolshito, it's incredible to me. That That's the idea that stuck out to me the most that I liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, so the idea that sticks out to me the most that I find fascinating uh, is, uh, well, uh, several things, of course. So, I mean, I've mostly been listening to Graham Hancock on Joe Rogan. So, I mean, you, I think you can feel where this is going. Um, there's a bunch of crazy shit going on here. For one, um, there's the fact that uh, some hunter-gatherers, which supposedly uh, could 
just about build some tents and live in some caves and that's about it. Build something as crazy as Gobekli Tepe. Yeah, try uh, to figure that out. Yes. Then secondly, uh, there's the um, the Egyptian Sphinx, which is significantly older than the pyramids. Um, so I believe, uh, and I'm doing this entirely from memory, so forgive me if I'm wrong, uh, but I believe the pyramids are uh, something like 3,000 year years old, um, and maybe 4,000. Uh, but the um, uh, Sphinx is many thousands of years older yet. Pavo, um, do you do you have a number that you think on the uh, on the Sphinx? Because I know that that's a very hotly contested idea that would further provide evidence of the mythologic argument. So the thing about the Sphinx is the only evidence we have about its age is water erosion. So yes, exactly. the only the only way we can guess. Basically, we can say what's the latest date that it might be, right? When was the last time it rained in Egypt, basically, which is, like, I think, somewhere around 10,000 years ago or something like that. Wow. I'm not sure. But if we look at the uh, astronomical alignment, it might as well be like 30,000 years old. That's uh -huh. the really crazy part. This is, so this is back to your idea that because many of the megaliths are aligned with stars, when you look at where the Sphinx is pointed and what you think an ancient civilization would have engineered it for in regards to the religious nature or the meaningfulness yes. of the direction, 30,000 makes sense. Wow. Really? How so? Uh, okay. So if you've watched Joe Rogan and Graham Hancock, you've heard of the procession of the equinox. So... Mm -hmm. Yes. The, in case somebody isn't familiar with how that works, when the Earth rotates, it's kind of like a, one of those toys that spins. You, what I don't know what to call it in English, uh, when you spin a little toy and it just stays we down. Call it, uh, we, we call it a top, maybe T O P top. Yeah. In Bulgarian, it's pumpo. We spin the pumpo. In my mind, Pavo, we spin the pumpo over. We get spinning. <laughs> exactly. You do a great bird impression. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so yes so you know you notice when it's spinning it kind of wobbles and the top of it kind of moves in a circle yes right so where that uh, top part is aimed at changes in a cycle that's approximately 25 or so thousand years so it's people people think that that it's spinning perfectly that it, it's just it's like if you take a basketball and you just spin it right straight in in line People think that, but they have to remember the earth is flying around and it's on a tilt and it's wobbling. So wobbling would be the best English word that I would use to describe it. I think most people think of a basketball yes. and you'd spin it, it would wobble. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's just how physics works. So, yes. and the way the earth is pointed at any given time. So, okay. Think about uh, a sundial, right? What is a sundial? It's a star chart with only one star on it. It tells you where the sun is. Yeah. Uh, that's how we measure the time of day. The way we measure uh, months is by tracking the moon, the movement of the moon. The way we measure years is by tracking the seasons, which is related to the tilt of the earth towards the sun and the rotation of the earth around the sun. So that's how we measure years. And with this uh, axial rotation or axial precession, that's called a long year or a great year in many cultures. For example, in India, they have a similar idea with the the yugas in uh, in uh, the South great America. year. What a what a beautiful concept that humans yes. shouldn't be advanced enough to understand. But eventually, you know, given the the current civilization, maybe we would one day see a great year. But it's fascinating how much knowledge they seem to have of this great year. Oh yeah. Yeah, the Mayans had it, the Egyptians certainly had the idea. Um, they don't all agree on how long it was, but it's kind of hard to measure it precisely. Oh, it's, I mean, we're, we, we were just... If you're using... Go ahead, please. I'm sorry, there was a little delay. Yeah, if you're using only your eyeballs, which they were, to do astronomical observations, uh, it's kind of hard to do precise measurements. You kind of have to get really tricky, and you kind of have to get really clever to do precise measurements. And they did. They actually invented a lot of really clever ways to do it. And megaliths were part of it. 
Uh, yeah, th this is an idea that I was talking about earlier of ancient engineering and how precise that you can be given the natural phenomena that we see. And with the limitation, of yeah. course, the limitation is human lifespan because it's so hard to carry these ideas on for generations and save knowledge, do what we call build on the shoulders of giants in an older yeah. phrase to describe upon it. So it's fascinating to me that somehow how precise they could be. These ancient engineers were incredible. I would, in fact, I like that. If I could, one day when I retire or I semi-retire, I'm going to be an ancient engineer and I'm just going to look into how can you do some of this math with what they had available to them. Sorry to interrupt with the uh, ancient engineering uh, jump in. Yeah. Oh, that's if, a topic uh, I'm totally into. Yeah. If you don't mind me adding two more um, interesting aspects, let's say, to the age of the swings um, that I remember from uh, the, the Joe Rogan podcast is uh, one uh, on the sides, I believe, of the swings, there were found restorations with building blocks that were approximately the age of the pyramid, which is strange because why would you need to uh, restore this megalith uh, if it's built at the same time as the pyramid? So that's one. And two, uh, this is a very good point at least in my eyes, that um, uh, Graham Hancock made. He made the point that around the time the pyramids were built, uh, they were like in the the stellar period, stellar great year, whatever it is, of the bull. But the swings... That's actually a month. Bull. It's like a line. So why would you build um, um, uh, a, a astrological megalith dedicated to a lion when your whole time period is about dedicating or, or is about uh, worshipping the bull. Yeah, and that those actually, uh, the zodiacal signs are kind of the months in the great year, right? So right. it's 25,000 years or so, 26,000 years actually. You divide that by 12, whatever you get, and that's how long a, a great month is. And that's how long the earth points at each of the astrological signs, right? And they're not all equal, right? Because the constellations aren't exactly like evenly divided. So some of them might be a bit longer than others and they have kind of a transition period between them. So right now we're in the transition from Pisces to Aquarius. That's why uh, the, the Christian symbol is the fish. Uh, I know they like to brandish uh, that uh, torture device as their symbol, but you know. <sighs> Yeah. Um, that Roman pagan torture device, that's a great symbol for your religion. Um, so, yeah, and now we're transitioning to Aquarius, but it's not an instant thing, right? It's not... A lot of people thought it was 2012 because that's how the Mayans calculated it. Right, it. right. They had very precise measurements, but they were precise for people who worked with stone, right? Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. What, so, what, what's more implication of the stone part? Well, in, in the sense that these people use their eyeballs to do these measurements, right? They they can be very precise in the context of what they had to work with, right? They don't have lasers and they don't have atomic clocks, which we do. So we can do a lot more uh, uh, fine, fine measurements and we still can't put a definite, okay, this is where we point here instead of there. Now I love I love how this is this this precision of the great year is such a it to me is a bigger topic, um, Pavo, and I love that you're on it. Um, could I give you a quick comment in regards to a, a American cultural sure. response to this? Sure. Okay, so the ideas to me are fascinating at the implications of understanding astrology, not astronomy, and the reason that there's a difference in American lexicon is because. The, the American high culture, so not the low culture, if you will, of the streets, but the high culture of the ivory towers of academics, um, to them, astrology is a, is a foolish endeavor in which you look at the positions of the stars. Yeah. And the interesting well, part is this is a perfect example of how you have to have a very good understanding of astrology in order to be a decent consumer of history. 
Because in your situation, yeah. like you were saying, this is not astrology. This is astronomy. This is historical yes. ast astronomy. So I love the distinction. So yes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I love that that allows you to then have this great year hypothesis in regards to the length of civilizations may have existed before. Sorry to sorry to yeah. run there, um, Bolshito and Pablo. That was too good. That's actually a very good uh, transition to something I planned on talking about eventually on this. Um, so with respect to astrology, so I'm an actual magic practitioner or whatever. Like I, I play around with reading crazy stuff about that topic. And I think astrology is bullshit, right? Uh, of course, yes. I mean, I, I'm a yes. believer in the American high culture of it. Now, you know, let's let's have a deeper conversation, but I like that that's how you phrase it right away too. Right. So the, the idea is, okay, I'm sitting here reading about astral projection and demons and communing with ancient gods. And I'm here telling you, yeah, this is bullshit. So uh, if you see a mystic talking about astrology, they're usually bu bullshitting you. Because the way astrology happened was the same way today, like you want to get your science funded. You go to a politician and tell them, hey, this is going to help you in your next election or whatever. Uh, give me money in, or whatever. So that's how it worked in the ancient world. You're 4000 4, BC in Babylon and you're an astronomer and you want to you wanna be an astronomer instead of uh, working the fields. You go to the king and you tell him, hey, give me money and I'll tell you the future by looking at the stars. So I think that's what it was. Wow, it was yeah. grift, Bolshito. Did you do you did you hear this accusation that yeah. astrology is a grift in order to get out of working in the fields and just look at the planets, which would be awesome at that time, you know? Shit, I should Also, it's actual science, right? These people actually did real science. Yeah, of course. It's 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 I mean, I love I love astronomy. I, I went in back in um university, I studied politics, but I my, I had to do a certain number of classes in natural sciences and I made both of my classes astronomy because I'm so fascinated by looking at the stars and understanding the universe. Yeah. So to me it's one of the most noble professions that you can do because it's not political. It's simply trying to find out the truth of it's what we are and where we are in the universe. All right. Yeah, so it's not um, no, please go ahead, uh, uh, Pavel. It's not political today, but it used to be very political. In yes, the, I love that discussion too. Yeah, kind of, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so, one of the things I wonder about is uh, what has um, man? How do I phrase this? So, why did these people uh, attach so much value to the stars? To, to what's going on in the universe, like way, way, way beyond their control. Um, why were they building such huge uh, uh, monuments uh, to align with the stars? Um, like what's going on with their perception there? So, uh, I don't know. So, have either of you uh ever gone like way far off grid where there's almost no not light pollution and just looked at the looked up at the stars yes I, I there's a camping trip that i go on with the peaceful treason podcast you may have seen them around um our twitter accounts yeah. and uh, we go to a place in what's a uh, state of missouri in the united states which is in the central part of the united states there are no major cities around it's in the uh, the ozarks and uh, there's Missouri and Arkansas. Those are the two areas where you can have completely no light. And you get to see the entire grandeur of the Milky Way. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I haven't done quite that because it's kind of hard in Bulgaria. There's villages everywhere. And it's... Uh, um, but there are quite a few observatories in the mountains here. And I, one of my plans is to make a trip to the big one on, in the Rewa Mountain. That's awesome. uh, yeah, but I, whenever I can, I ask a friend to drive me over here in, on Vitusha Mountain, and it, there's still a lot of pollution because it's right next to a city with a million people in it. But it's for stuff like uh, the planets, at least it's perfectly workable. Yeah, uh, and I have my telescope and I point it out of my window whenever I can. Like it's there's not a lot of interesting stuff uh, recently because all the planets are on the other side of my apartment, so they're ah. not visible. But, but in the spring they will be. 
right. it is the moon and venus uh so i i look at the sky any chance i get like before this podcast i went out to the park and just looked at the moon uh while listening to Battlestar galactica soundtrack just to hype myself up because space is so awesome all right so and it yeah. matters so much to us modern people, right? Even though we're so cut off from it. Right. So I before you but go. But ancient on, people were completely ancient people were completely yeah. like they couldn't take a piss without seeing the entire universe in front of them. Exactly. Right? So yes. Yeah, I um before I let you go on, I uh went on a uh, river trip in Utah, uh where we just kind of floated down a river for seven days. Um and I mean if you're if you know Utah, there's like three cities and then there's desert and some meth dealers um so there's basically no light in the desert there especially if you're drifting down some fucking river and it's still one of the most impressive things that i've seen i think in my whole life uh the 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 way that you can see the milky way literally all of the stars uh it's mind-blowing um so it's uh it's it's a almost uh a psychedelic experience uh just like purely on its own um so now imagine as you said living under that every fucking day like literally as you said you can't go outside to take a piss in the night and not see it so uh, yeah please continue and now add mushrooms to it. Yes. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. I'm assuming everybody here is familiar with how that works. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they are now legal in parts of the United States. And I, my understanding, they have been legal in the Netherlands for some time. They have been not illegal here for quite some time. That's right. You guys do not illegal. Can I take a break really quick for 30 seconds and just say that the decriminalized nature of the Netherlands drug policy is something that I researched and discussed a lot but in my time in politics and university because legalization is one of the worst things that you can do. Decriminalization and simply not enforcing is brilliant and doesn't increase the role of the state. Legalization does. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, to continue on that topic, the only time I ever went through the wormhole, so to say, was when I visited Amsterdam a couple of years ago. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, and like all my friends were like, because uh, I, I kept talking about it. I I was listening to Terrence McKenna all the time and kept talking about it. And they were like, hey, if we go there, you're going to eat them? And I'm like, eh, I don't know. And then we, we I, I think I'm just going to relax with some weed and just maybe get some edibles or whatever. And just enjoy the view, right? Because it's it's not about the drugs, you know, visiting uh, another country. It's a beautiful place. And we visited a bunch of stuff and it was pretty nice. But we went into a head shop and like we were looking at like pipes and bongs and stuff like that. And like the guy comes over and says, hey, can I help you with anything? I'm like, no, nah, we're just browsing, you know, looking for souvenirs. And he's like, perhaps some mushrooms. And my friend just taps me on the shoulder like, hey, this is your cue. Go talk to this guy. Because he knows I, I, I talk about this stuff all the time, but I've never done it before. And I'm like, okay. And I, I go to the guy and he just takes me over to the counter and opens the fridge and pulls out like four boxes. And they had like websites on them and barcodes, I think. And like a, a phone you can call if things go wrong. Like it was ah. like, oh, this is a fucking product. Yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is legit shit. And uh, I, I got a box of Mexicana. Uh, and it was 15 grams, not dry. So that would be equivalent to 1.5 dry, which McKenna said that five grams is five dry grams is like the heroic dose. Yes. That, 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 that will wake yeah. your brain up and it will put it to sleep yeah. and then wake it up and then but, uh, put it the to 1. sleep. 1.5, I call it the tourist dose because that's how much it's allowed. Oh, okay. I think that's, that, that's right. a reasonable amount to, to do. Yeah, because I think that's the limit. They're like, okay, we're not gonna fuck with you if you stay under this limit or something like that. Yeah, but, just 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 have a little handful in your pocket that you're taking to yeah. go use safely. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any reason to enforce that criminally. One and a half grams seems reasonable. Yeah, but uh, not dried. Like if because if they're dried, that means you intend intend to sell them, so they oh. can't be dry, and they can't be mushrooms. They have to be truffles. I think that's the Dutch law. Yeah. Yeah, 
So 15 grams of fresh Mexicano truffles. That's what I did. It did the job. It worked. Uh, I, I, I don't want to turn this into a trip report, but let's just No, say it that... needs to be 15 grams. Start from the beginning. Sorry, yeah, Bullshito, but I, I, would, I would take that, Bullshito. I will take a trip report. Yep. Yes. Okay, 15 yep. grams. Start from the beginning, please. I want to hear about this. Yeah. 15 grams not dried, so equivalent to 1.5, right? Yes. Because, yes. Uh, so we rented a house in a town like 30 minutes outside of Amsterdam because it's cheap and uh, it's a nice town that kind of smells like cows, uh, whatever, but it's 30 minutes out, so we can just stay there. And I once, I once walked through the Dutch countryside from Amsterdam and then I walked all the way to, um, to the sea. Um, and it took a whole day and there was a lot of smelling the fields, but it's a beautiful walk. Please yes. continue. Yeah. So we rented that house, like me and like four or five other people. We were all obviously Eastern European and obviously didn't fit in into that small town. Like that's the day I realized I wasn't exactly white. Ah. Oh, oh, oh no. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, we don't really look Dutch. Like we, we're technically white, but we're all like dressed in, What's it? in what, black what? hoodies with beards. Oh, uh, okay. We, we, we talk in a foreign language. One of our guys is like a big uh, guy with a leather jacket and he walked with a selfie stick, which he sort of hit in his hand like a swagger stick. Like, so kind of look mini, even though he's nice. So, Bolshido, th this is an example that in the Dutch culture, they are not white as you see white people in the Netherlands. Is that, a, is that an accurate way of understanding what Bulgarians look like? Oh yeah, I mean, to to be short about it, we consider Bulgarians East Bloc. They're to us, they're they're, um, they're they're the east side of the wall. Yes, I see. I okay, mean, sorry to interrupt on the, on the cultural stuff. I just think it's incredible because everybody in America is like, oh well, white's white, and we have our blacks and we have our Mexicans. But no matter where you live. People have different distinctions for who you are and where you're from. I just thought it was a fascinating um, a thing that uh, uh, Pavel was talking about. Sorry about that. Keep going, yeah. guys. Don't get me wrong. Every time in Amsterdam we heard Bulgarian speech, we were trying to get the fuck away from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a common trope that uh, we do not send our best people, although we do actually send our best people, but I mean, <laughs> not do always. Know? Actually, we do because we don't have any doctors. <laughs> yeah. Fair. The hospitals don't have any doctors now. It's uh, it's really bad. Yeah. So, well, or our I best doctors are in Germany. Uh, oh. Hmm. Fucking anyway, drum. to continue, yeah, yes. for the fucking crowds, I'm fucking pissed at them for a lot of reasons. But not to make this uh, an anti-German podcast, let's talk about fucking psychedelics. So uh, we're in this house. I'm and... a German podcast to appear on, just for shits and giggles. I'd rather not. <laughs> All right, continue. Yeah, so uh, I wake up in the morning, like I, I buy them, I put them in the fridge. The next day I wake up because earlier that day I, I bought a, a brownie. And I'm like, okay, I have two days in Amsterdam. I eat one of these. It's going to be a day to recover. I can't have them. I need to take them the same day. So the morning I eat the, oh, the muffin. I eat half of it. Uh, it goes perfectly well. By the afternoon, I'm fine. Like I had a breakfast with it. So, cause I know that I'm, I should eat the mushrooms on an empty stomach. So I just eat a big breakfast with the, the brownie. Uh, it's so it's like, I don't know, 9 AM or something. The day goes perfectly that day. The, the, there was a problem with the train station. There were no trains to Amsterdam. So we were stuck in that small town and we walked around it and it was actually really nice. Like there was like, uh, old churches and old, old uh, whatever the Jewish, uh, temples were and there's windmills and uh, just in interesting stuff like it's it's a pretty small town 
and we, that's uh, the place to do it by the way we do the same thing in the united states so it's my very common and been my experience is that we get as far away yeah. as we can from the urbanness of the world and try to find a more um, I mean, reclusive it's, opportunity it's it's a tw- it's 20 minutes and i think it's a college town so it's not exactly a reclusive place like it's just a smaller place right yeah yeah exactly yeah, that makes sense a quieter it might be it's said a, it's a suburb quieter some- yeah suburb quieter yeah yeah uh and we walk around we drink coffee in town have a great day right because that's the most important thing you need to be in a good mind state and then in the the evening somewhere around 7 p.m uh i i eat the the mushrooms i tell my friends okay i know you guys are really intent to all get shit faced tonight do whatever have fun don't uh, don't think about me or whatever i'm just gonna be in the room for four hours just don't bother me if i need something i'll call you guys and you guys uh, have fun i'm sorry i'm not gonna be with you but there's no other time when i can do this so they're all really understanding of course and so i i go into the room i eat Actually, no, first I eat them and I sit in the garden in the back of the, the house for like 40 minutes until they come on because, you know, it's the sunset is it's coming. It's pretty beautiful. So I, I made sure everything was perfect. I was uh, in the most relaxed possible state. And the moment I saw the plants in the garden start to breathe, I'm like, okay, now's the time. And I got, got into the room. Uh, put like a couple of blankets on top of me and just put my headphones on and started listening to folk metal because that's exactly what you need to listen to on mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Balkan folk metal, not just any folk metal. Uh, And it came on pretty quickly after that. Uh, And at first it was like just cool stuff to see, like uh, people dancing and stuff like that. Uh, Viking wrong ships, going down the the Amsterdam canals which is like a great thing to see just I'm sure nobody ever <laughs> thought that was a great thing to see but <laughs> yeah but it was pretty and uh it started out like that but eventually and here's the crazy part right eventually you get get the feeling that time and space aren't exactly outside of your reach out of your mind's reach, right? I could kind of feel when my friends were about to roll the last weed because we couldn't get to Amsterdam. So we only had the weed from yesterday. And it was the last weed that they were going to roll and I sensed when they were going to do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm it, I'm two hours into the trip. There's another two hours after that. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to go uh, smoke the last weed with my friends. And I got up, I went to the other room and what do you know? They actually are rolling the last tweet that they have beautiful yeah uh i still think that's probably a coincidence but it's just a cool story to tell no but there people talk about that all the time that uh, some people believe that because we have electronic impulses in our brains not only is there direct electricity but there's indirect sort of tesla type electricity i can't remember what they call it alternative or direct but um there's different ways that uh, electricity spreads and when you do psychedelics, sometimes you get opened up into that web of electricity and you can begin to understand people nearby, even though they're not telling you something. Ah. Well, maybe, but probably not because... It seems well, like it's a testable prediction and that James Randi, rest in peace, would not oh, allow yeah. that test to be successful because it seems like if you control for it, it can't work. But people tell those stories all the time. But I'd say, listen, James Randi, we're going to give somebody a few grams of mushrooms. We're going to put them side <laughs> by side with somebody who's going to think about different answers to questions that they don't know. And we're going to see if they can do better than a random person not on psychedelics yeah. and then just do that a million Here's- times. Here's my problem with that. Think about uh, the latest Bluetooth devices and how often they fail because it's just so fucking noisy. Yes. Yeah, your brain is not that precise. So that we know of. This is the third eye discussion that if you take the psychedelics, you can open up the electrical potential of the of the third eye. So let me finish the story and we can, can get back to that because uh, I have a little bit more to say. So I go up, I have the last... Uh, the uh, joint I smoke another tobacco cigarette and I tell my friends yeah it's pretty cool it's awesome it's stuff like that uh, I get to see crazy stuff and at one uh, then I go back of course and interesting thing I start aging backwards 
and I turn into a fetus and I disappear and I turn into a mound. I turn into a tepe, which is hero in Turkish, right? Like oh, Gubekli Tepe, like it. Yeah, I turn into one of those and I'm made of dirt and I'm made of, uh, of grass and worms and birds and all of that stuff. Like that's my body becomes the earth. That's still one of the brightest memories I have of the trip. And I'm trying to, you know, as somebody is disconnected from nature as modern people are, when you get that experience, that's kind of weird. But imagine something like that happening to you when you're a fucking caveman. Yeah. Yeah. So, so far, this is all standard stuff that a lot of people on Mushroom report. But then we get to the really interesting stuff when... Here we go. You start... Yeah, when you start to feel somebody else there with That's you. That's right. Who is there with you? Where are we going? Why do you feel that there is at least one person or other people? What's the story? Okay, so uh, remember the cat from Alice in Wonderland? With just the eyes would show up and then the mouth? You guys remember that? Not in particular, to be honest. Right, there's, there's nothing there and then eyes show up and then a big grin just shows up underneath them. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The, yeah. the, the grin that shows so, up under very low light, yes. Yeah, just the eyes and the mouth show up at one point. Like this kind of mischievous but well-intentioned presence appears. And it's all about like, uh, yeah, we're, uh, this is like the wobby to, to the other dimension, right? This is uh, where we all the new people come and we just show them all the pictures on the wall. Uh, you're you're a new person, right? Uh, you're here for the first time. What if it's the, uh, what if it's the it's the, orientation, basically? What what if in the simulation it's the people who are watching your simulation because you can choose to watch billions of simulations every day, and they choose to watch yours. So that's like your fan club, and they finally get to interact with you for a few seconds or a few minutes when you finally open up the third eye. Those are the people that are watching you in the world that we live, the game that we're playing, the simulation. Is that who they could be? You just fucked my brain. I don't know if that's who they, they might be. But the way the way I interpreted it at the time was a bit different, right? It's the idea that there's this other place uh, that's very big and it's very complex and it's very uh, interconnected, right? What and if it's people... what, if, what if the people are from your, your dead ancestors and they all are watching you as long as they're interested? If they gave birth to you, or if they were the you know if they were the man or the woman that that produced you, that's who's watching oh. you. That's what they mean by your family watching over you. So that's why it's so exciting when you finally show up and those people are so interested in your life. Finally, get to the other that. side yeah. of the third. Did you feel a familial relationship when you were crossing this uh, no. this third eye barrier? No. Because that that would that would make sense to me too. That heaven or hell is just watching your your progeny live on, and then you finally get to visit them. Uh, that's not that's not the feel I got. The the way I felt it was this is this really big place and it's really complicated and it's really it's like a big city and you're like the the hick that just showed up and this is like the wobby where they kind of explain you okay first you don't piss on the street <laughs> and uh, when the when the white is red you don't cross the street and uh, right they they kind of show you around it's sort of like a or like at the border like when you when a rich tourist comes to a country. Or something kind of like okay you want to become a citizen okay this is what you're gonna get if you invest in the country uh in terms mm. of citizenship right they're they're both trying to recruit you trying to show off and trying to kind of judge you a little bit okay what are you made of like it's uh uh like terence mckenna said they might be meme traders right so okay we're gonna show you our memes you're gonna show us your memes I knew that memeology was one of the answers to figure out the universe. The understanding of the sharing of small bits of information known as memes. Mm -hmm. Bolshito, you're you're a, you're a certified memeologist. You have thoughts on this? Um, well, uh, man, I know you have to go in a little bit, so I wanted to uh, go back a little bit to um, these Asian people and their use for psychedelics. Um, and then at some point we will get much deeper into this uh, topic because 
like the whole topic of megalithics and psychedelics because it fascinates me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry to get off the topic, but as soon as somebody tells a story about taking 15 grams of mushrooms, I gotta I gotta hear some of the details. So it's I, I, I precise. Okay, 1.5 dry, but I'm just saying, um, Pavo, that I love the story, so I'm sorry for getting a little off topic. Of um, I didn't some even of the... get to the cool part. Can I just finish the cool part and then we're off to back to the ancient Italians? All right. So Go, the cool uh, part right is towards the end. Everybody's still Hello? here? What? What? Hello? Bullshito, so, I can hear you. Okay, so Pavo. Uh, I... Yes, Pavo, go uh, ahead. We can hear you now. At some point, towards God, the end of the trip, and at this point, like, I'm, I'm like, seeing dif- distant places and distant people and stuff like that, so I'm, I'm totally, completely born at this point. And at one point, I kind of start getting anxious. I start getting anxiety. Like, I might start getting, like, the trip might, from being really good might go really bad. And I start getting kind of worried, like, oh, are these people about to show me the really, the really deep stuff? And at that point, they were like, look at this. And they showed me, and I don't know how to put this into English. They showed me a multidimensional uh, visual, visible linguistic pun, right? It's basically a seven-dimensional dad joke, right? It's... It's layer upon layer upon layer of meaning, and it's all kind of meaningless. And it's really lame, but also the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen. And it's also an impossible geometric object at the same time. And they're like, look at this. It's all a joke. Haha. Why are you fucking worried? And they're like, they literally um, just came out to me with the dad joke, right? The, The God's version of a dad joke. Like, what? Okay, what the fuck was that? And I, I couldn't stop giggling because not because the whole thing, the thing itself was really funny. It was funny. It was ridiculous. But the thing that was really funny was okay. They thought that would make me laugh. Really? That's what they thought would make me laugh. Uh, like they have kind of weird standards. So, in the sense that they they kind of wanted me to have a good first experience because they kind of want me to come back. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna come back someday. And Maybe someday I will, because I haven't come back yet. But uh, it's so as a modern person, the way I interpret all of this is uh, really. Um, I have my biases as a rational person, so I kind of want to think that that's just my imagination, although I'm not sure. So I just leave it. At, it's a mystery, right? I don't know. I don't have enough information. I can't make a judgment. Right. Yeah, that's the best conclusion to come to as a scientist most times that you simply present the evidence that you have, create a future yeah. hypothesis and yeah. experiment, and then conclude that you don't, don't know enough yet. Know. That's a, always I a fair really conclusion. Aliens from another dimension? I don't fucking know. But an ancient person in that situation, what the hell are they supposed to think? How are they going to form meaning? How are they going to incorporate that into the context of the society they live in, considering that their society is much less nebulous than our own, right? We we live in a world... Yeah. We live in a world where meaning is kind I think of... They, I think they certainly would. Yeah, right? go ahead. You can kind of decide yeah. for yourself so, what, what you believe. Yeah, how... Oh, yes. Very, very arbitrary. Everything is subjective. Yes. Nothing is real. Bullshito. Everything is post this, fake that. Nothing is real. And I'm sorry. You, you, keep, you keep striking on exactly some of the philosophical relevation, uh, revelations that I have in regards to the society that we live in. Uh, it's a very, very deep understanding that is transcending time right now. The ancient people have some of the same ideas that we do. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Ted, how much sure. time do we have left? Uh, about five minutes. Um, could I run through real quick, Pavo, just a quick thought that I had on this um, from my so. From my perspective, whenever I discuss science, I always get into the idea of falsifiability. And I will I, I treat all topics the same. That's why I love astronomy, because we create experiments and we falsify the different hypotheses, and then we eventually have be- much better hypotheses and, and finally some theses that work. It's great. Um, so I just sure. quickly want to discuss with you if you got a few minutes just for me to go a little off topic, if that's okay. 
Yeah, go right ahead. Okay, I'm sorry to do so, but hopefully you'll enjoy it by the end of it because you'll see that I take a very rational approach to these things. Um, what you were discussing regards to the precision of ancient engineering, the creating an argument for their understanding of the great year, and therefore what year that we could expect they would have sorts of technical and uh, technological solutions. You know, how long would it take you, given how precise you are as a human being in a civilization, to figure out how long stuff is taking? Are you following me so far that that's sort of just the idea that I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, because I loved, I loved that idea, Pavel. So the, the thesis of the precision that gives us the year that we can estimate that the civilization should have been able to figure out this precession of the equinoxes or this great year, um, the thesis can be falsified. So we would need to know the precision of the ancient engineering. So we'd have to know exactly what, uh, what are their constraints and what are their abilities. And then we take each piece of evidence through history, quote-unquote history. So we say, okay, if the Finks was, was built here, what would we know? So that would be the rational approach. And uh, I just wanted, if you could just talk about that idea or just branch off it however you want to. But that's what I love about this ancient engineering because we can test it and we can start to guess when these civilizations actually yeah, were powerful enough to do what they actually physically did. Answer because something else I'm very, very interested in, interested in is um, medieval arms and armor, right? And if anybody here has watched uh, Todd's workshop on YouTube, like it's a channel about armor and stuff like that. And he's basically trying to figure out how people 500 years ago, when we had writing, when we had uh, manuals that tell you how to fight, when we have uh, very complex accounts from battles, and he's trying to figure out, okay, how did these people make their, the tips of their arrows? Uh, there's so much we don't know about how craftsmen worked 500 years ago when we had, they even wrote in the languages we speak today, right? French isn't that much different from uh, French 500 years ago, right? It, and English isn't all that much different. Like I can read something from 500 years ago and understand it mostly. So even the language isn't that different and we can't even figure that out. And now we're talking about a civilization that never wrote anything. And all we can do is guess by their junk, right? What, what junk did they make? Yeah. So it's very, very, yes, very by the junk. That's a great exactly way of putting it. Yes, uh, is going on with these ancient uh, megaliths. And Graham Hancock is making a lot of really great points, but he's also making a lot of really great leaps in order to sell books. And I'm not gonna fault him for that because he's fairly honest about it. Oh, no, but it, but it could Graham be, but it could be grifting. Pavo, are you saying it could be it. grifting? Bolshito. No, grifters are sometimes the most dishonest. Bolshito. He's a fucking grifter, and I love it. <laughs> All right, Pavo Bolshito. Thank you so much for having me, Bolshito. Pavo, it was a pleasure to meet you. You're taking such a rational, careful approach with your logic. I love it. It's exactly the same way I look at science and at history. So, thank you so much, Pavo. Okay, I'm sorry that no I have to leave early, and Thanks I hope you guys you. have a great discussion. I can't wait to listen to the rest of it. Take yeah, sure will. Thanks for coming on, Ted. All right, I think there we go. Oh, hey, he actually sent uh, a text in the uh, in the chat here in Sandcaster. I did not see that. Um, anyway, uh, so what I was trying to uh, get to, but I mean, yeah. Ted is a very hard man to get. Uh, in between. Um, so, uh, these ancient peoples, they, uh, at least if we look at some of the, of their, uh, how do I say it? their, their, uh, like their tribes, or at least tribes that function like them, uh, they often have, um, rituals of psychedelics mm -hmm. that are taken in particular ways so there's ayahuasca there's peyote um and uh so i have very limited uh experience with psychedelics myself i took some uh truffles mm -hmm. a couple of times and some lsa which comes from the hawaiian baby root ro wood rose plant it's basically the same chemical com compound as uh, lsd uh neither did all that much uh mm -hmm. 
to me, I'll get into that at some other point, maybe when we talk to pause or whatever. Um, so one of the ideas is that um, these people took this, these, these psychedelics as a way to um, kind of make sense of life and death. Um, so, I mean, they wouldn't just take, you know, a few grams of mushrooms. They would take, well, peyote, for example, which is, an ex from, from what I've heard, an, an extremely intense strip. Uh, or Similar I should the way I mean, ayahuasca. I, I'm not sure what peyote is like. Um, similar? All right. Yeah. So both of them produce extremely intense strips. Um, if I understand correctly, the way ayahuasca functions or is is made is basically the only way to um, yeah. orally take uh, DMT and have it actually work. Um, so I think most of us know the reputation that DMT has. Uh, and we also know that generally... Uh, things that you take orally. In this case, uh, as opposed from to what I've heard, the, the smoke DMT effect. has a, the stronger effect um, because it's all condensed into 15 minutes of effect. Right. Because oh, DMT okay. may be produced in the brain or if it isn't, ah. it's made of the same brain chemistry. Right. So your brain looks at it and says, oh, I know what that is. And the chemistry begins to break it down immediately because it's not really a foreign substance. So when you smoke it, you get a really high right. dose and then it goes away quickly. But when you drink it, it stays in your stomach and seeps into you and you get a constant drip of it. So it's still very intense, but it's drawn out over hours. Same with mushrooms, right? DMT and psilocybin are very similar substances. Like right. I think uh, psilocybin is a type of DMT with like a phosphorid group or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, or psilocin or something like that. Like they're very similar in terms of their chemical structure. Like, uh, if you look at the, the chemical structure, which uh, I think, uh, how was the guy, uh, Sasha Shogun, the guy who invented MDMA, he called them the dirty pictures, like those chemical diagrams. Those are the, the dirty pictures. Uh, if you look at the dirty pictures of DMT and uh, psilocybin, right. it's very similar. And a lot of other substances also have similar structures. And they, they're similar to serotonin, which is why you should never do psychedelics if you're on antidepressants because it could fuck up your brain and maybe even kill you if you if you're on really strong uh, ah. antidepressants and you take a really high dose it might end really badly that's why shamans in south america uh, just uh, make you get off of those things several weeks before you you go to them so yeah i could talk about the chemistry for a long time but i don't think right. that's the topic that's interesting. Um, no, no, I think that would be extremely interesting and I might have to invite you back on just to yeah. talk about the chemistry of psychedelics. Uh, but def that's definitely a topic for another day. Um, so, uh, how do you think, how, how likely would you estimate that this idea is that they... Um, that these people took these psychedelics uh, with the intent or with the idea of gaining more understanding of uh, uh, what is oh, that was after, probably the main, even before, main idea behind uh, it. Life. Because the people who did mostly the psychedelics were basically professionals, professional trippers, right? They're, they're shamans. Their, their job is to journey beyond the, right. the normal culture and to explore other spaces and bring back information usually about stuff that's happening in the village like who stole the chicken or whatever uh who's who is sleeping with whose wife that sort of information which is very useful to a shaman to have in a small village <laughs> yeah. uh yeah that sort of stuff like terence mckenna talks about that sort of stuff all the time in oh yeah used to because he left us uh, 20 years ago but uh, i listen to him uh, very often even now uh, when i can't sleep i just play terence mckenna talks on youtube and just go to sleep that way so i go to bed with this topic basically 
so I can talk about it. But anything I say is gonna oh, be man. stuff you you might have heard on Terence McKenna. So that's the place you wanna hear it. And plus, instead of listening to a, a Bulgarian with a bad accent, you're gonna listen to an American yep. from an Irish uh, heritage who can just spin the tales of the old Irish storytellers. Just it's uh, it's amazing. Even though eighty percent of what he says is bullshit, it's extremely entertaining bullshit. And the twenty percent that isn't bullshit is absolutely mind blowing. So I yeah, I recommend that to anybody who hasn't done it already. Oh yeah. I right. actually um, do we have a few more minutes? I, I have one more topic to touch upon. To so uh, the the topic of sure. megaliths. Yeah and what they might be trying yes, to tell please. us. Graham Hancock puts forward a very interesting hypothesis yes. that has to do with comet impacts. That these monuments are telling us that there are yes. dangerous events that happen in a cycle and like Gobekli Tepe, for example, it's aligned in such a way that it's basically talking about the modern age, like from like a hundred years ago to hundred years in the future or something like that. Like that's what the alignment of the stars basically tells us. Like you can read his mm-hmm. book, Magician of the Gods for the details. I will have the time to go into them. But he thinks that those might be a warning. That those people experience something terrible happening and notice that it happens periodically and wrote it down and since then they don't have libraries and they don't have uh, anything that can last 25,000 years or 10,000 years, they wrote it in stone. And since they didn't know that language could last very long, they wrote it in stone that's pointed at the sky so that anybody who knows a little bit of math can interpret it. And yes, that's basically the message. And I tend to think that might be the most plausible explanation, even though it's a little bit out there, because it's a really big problem how much money we spent on protecting ourselves from comets and asteroids. It's laughable. It's laughable. It's basically 10 US missiles a year. It's nothing. And here's the here's the crazy part. If one of them comes from the direction of the sun, we're not going to see it until it hit us. We're going to see it when we explode because the sun is in the way and we can't see through the sun. So this is a really important thing as a civilization. We need to start thinking about it. We need to start not panicking about it. Obviously, like it's not a fucking pandemic or something like, yeah. Yeah. But thinking about it and thinking long term, because these people (laughs) talk in terms of tens of thousands of years and we're sitting here and we're making fun of communists for their fucking five-year plans, Yes, which are ridiculous, yes, but well, yeah. it's something, right? It's something more than what the next quarter, the next financial quarter. So that's the sort of message I want to end on. Like, we need to start as a civilization to think yeah. long term in terms of not just wow. generations, but in terms of civilizational cycles and uh, millennia. And okay, where will we be in 10,000 years? Where will we be in a hundred thousand, in a million, in a billion, in a trillion? And anybody who's followed me on Twitter knows that sometimes I talk about that topic specifically, about where will we be in a trillion years? And it's, uh, we can have a completely separate podcast about Mm. that. But uh, that's it, basically. I want us to survive the next few hundred years so that we can colonize all space. And we can't do that if a meteor kills us all. Really? It I, wasn't the that pump? God damn, man. You blew my the mind mushrooms? right there. With your... <laughs> oh. Okay. No. No. Ah, ah. I... 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 God damn it. Um, the idea that, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been diving down quite a few JRE the reason with, I took mushrooms. Uh, with Graham Hancock and, mm-hmm. and listening to some lectures here and there, but I never heard this 
Yeah, yeah. I never actually I heard mean, this uh, hypothesis. I was very intrigued into the whole story about uh, like an ancient or, or lost civilization even before the comet uh, passing on this knowledge to the civilization or the people that made Gobekli Tepe. But the idea of um, that these people in that that built uh, the megalithics at Gobekli Tepe, um, that they did not, that they uh, understood essentially that um, they probably didn't have one. Their language isn't going to last. But mm-hmm. uh, what will will last is is the stars in the skies. So they they were going to build a fucking warning through pointing at the stars to us uh, about the the possibility of uh, of, of meteors or whatever mm-hmm. uh, terrible uh, impact that could hit uh, could hit the earth. I mean, I'm. I'm struggling for words right now. Um, that uh, that absolutely fucks my mind. Uh, and in a way, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I man, shit. do I you mean, have anything? Elon uh, Musk needs more competitors. Start winning, Matt. Yeah, we're we're in Matt. We're in physics. We're in astronomy because that fucker can't ah. can't get to Mars first. We can't yes. let that fucker get there first. <laughs> yeah. Because he's a scumbag. And if no. <laughs> if they not? left me on his fleet, uh, there might be uh, liberation, in quotes, of the fleet before it gets to Mars. And we might end up on another moon with a pirate fleet. So don't invite me on his fleet, but uh, build me a- another one. Yes. There might be a, a space stating somewhere that is, that doesn't have any walls. All right. Just warn Matt, everybody. Warn Matt. And good night. That's uh, that is a very good point. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'll I'll first do um, uh, Theodore's plugs. Uh, you can find him on Twitter. Uh, under uh let me pull it up real quick uh, he changes his handle and his profile pic every now and then but you can find him under at crowdfund.gov um or at crowdfund.government.com uh, and uh well he he's mostly uh arguing against the lp at the moment but he has his thing um, I mean, not right now, except we're not, because this stuff is important, and if we don't, it's going to kill us. Yeah. Yes. Ancient aliens 